Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Lady Science Podcast. Uh, most of the time, this podcast is a monthly deep dive on topics centered on women and gender in the history and popular culture of science. Uh, but this month, you are getting two for one. This is our special bonus episode, um, though we've got the same group of us here. Uh, with you every month are the editors of Lady Science magazine. I'm Anna Reeser, co-founder and co-editor-in-chief of Lady Science. I'm a writer, editor, and historian of technology, and I study 20th century American culture and the history of the American space program in the 1960s. I'm Layla McNeil, the other founder and editor-in-chief of Lady Science. I'm a historian of science and freelance writer with words in various places on the internet, and I am currently a regular writer on women in the history of science at smithsonianmag.com. And I'm Rebecca Ortenberg, Lady Science's managing editor. When I'm not working with the Lady Science team, I can be found writing about museums and public history around the internet and managing social media for the Science History Institute in Philadelphia. So as anyone who follows us on social media has already figured out, we're, and I guess if you listen to the last episode in which I said we were going to do this, um, um, we're in the middle of our pledge drive. Our goal for this week-long drive is to increase our monthly Patreon donations to $1,000 a month. That's about a $350 increase from our um, current uh pre-pledge drive amount. So there's a few things we'd like to do with the money that we raise from this pledge drive. Um, But the most important of them is that we would like to raise our rates for writers. Lady Science is dedicated to paying our amazing writers. And honestly, we just don't pay them as much as we wish that we could. Um, Raising our rates will help us attract even more great writers from a wide variety of fields. And we'll also honor the time and thoughtfulness and the expertise of writers who regularly contribute. The media landscape uh, is still dominated by white male voices, and we really want to be a platform where marginalized people can write about their history and share their experiences and be heard. And the best way that we can show that we value those histories and those voices is to pay writers a fair and competitive rate. So... Why are we focusing on raising our monthly pledges in particular instead of uh, one-time donations? So our recurring monthly donations help us plan ahead and let us know what kinds of operating costs we can cover, which means that we can grow in a sustainable way. So it's not a surprise every month if we're worrying where money's coming from and how we're going to get it. Um, We also think that it's pretty easy for all of you out there. All you need to do is go to our Patreon page set a monthly donation amount, and let Patreon do the rest. Even five bucks a month goes a really long way, so please chip in a few bucks. And our Patreon page is just um, www.patreon.com slash ladyscience. All right, so I promise we're not going to spend this whole episode begging you for your money. Um, We do have some fun discussion up ahead, but first, um, we are going to ask for your money (laughs) one more time. We wanted to share some uh, words from some of our longtime supporters and favorite contributors about why they think that you should give to Lady Science. Hi, this is Jordan Bim speaking in support of the Lady Science fundraising drive. Hi there, this is Hilary Moses Moham. Hi, this is Erica Eisen recording for the Lady Science uh, fundraiser. 
I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Princeton University, and I was interviewed on episode 12 of the Lady Science podcast, Gender in the American Space Program. I've been a regular reader and listener of Lady Science since the very beginning, and as a historian of science, technology, and medicine, I deeply value the critical feminist perspectives their hardworking team of writers, producers, and interviewers consistently deliver. And there are so many wonderful things that I could say about Lady Science, um, but for me, the main thing is that Lady Science makes space for all kinds of serious discussions about gender, sexuality, science, and technology, and how um, they've changed over time. So I remember the first uh, Lady Science article that I read. It was uh, Let the Working Be the Work about maintenance and feminism in art making. And I remember reading it through and then sending it to a bunch of my friends. It was one of those articles that I felt, you know, it lit a, a spark in my brain, and I thought other people have to see this. Through rigorous research, sharp writing, and engaging commentary, Lady Science puts the much-needed spotlight on the many, many ways that women and gender figure in science, technology, and medicine. Um, Lady Science is, I think, a unique publication that helps writers find their voices, tell their stories, and also amplify the sort of historically underrepresented communities. Why I've returned to Lady Science again and again, both as a reader and, um, and as a writer, is because I feel that um, it provides an outlet for deeply researched, politically engaged, um, thoughtful, unique, and often very uh, generous or caring pieces that probably find a home in a lot of other publications. I loved being interviewed on the Lady Science podcast because the host prepared fascinating questions that cut to the core of my research on astronauts. The conversation was so much fun, and it gave me a platform to reach beyond academia, which I'm very thankful for. I'm very grateful to have been a contributor to Lady Science several times now, and um, I feel very grateful that uh, they took a chance on me as a writer when I was really just starting out with just a couple months of um, freelancing experience. Um, and they sort of, uh, I guess, took a chance on me. And uh, since then, I feel like I've uh, built a relationship with them as a publication. And their generous um, editorial comments have helped me grow as a writer, as a researcher, um, have honed my own editorial eye. Um, and so I feel like it's it's a really special place um, on the Internet. Lady Science is made possible through support from listeners like you. If you're already a donor, please consider bumping up your contribution. And if you're not already on board, I wholeheartedly encourage you to help fund this crucial work. Thank you, Lady Science. It's a publication that we um, all benefit in supporting. So I hope that anybody listening to this um, will agree with me and continue to support uh, this magazine. So this podcast is a little different from our usual episodes. Instead of doing a deep dive into a topic that interests us, we've decided to ask you, our readers and social media followers, to help us put this episode together. Uh, a few weeks ago, we put a call out on Twitter asking for your favorite and least favorite representations of women scientists in popular culture. And oh boy, we hit a nerve. Uh, we got dozens of amazing responses. Um, so many that we could do a ton of different episodes like this probably with all of your different responses. Um, but then we wouldn't have had to do anything else with our lives, unfortunately. 
so to narrow things down a bit, um, we've each just cho- we've chosen just a couple of our favorite of the um, of the selection, um, favorite of the best women scientists and uh, of those worst women scientists uh, to share today. Uh, so Layla, do you want to get us started with your pick? Yes. Um, and I will say, I also was only going to choose ones off of the list of things I had seen and knew about. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. I thought that yeah. I knew about a lot more pop culture until I saw the suggestions that everybody tweeted at us. And I was like, I <laughs> I don't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> we should, maybe we should just post the list, too, so that if people are looking for some lady scientists something to watch and consume, like, they could check that out. Because there there were so many things, like, most of the things on that list I've never seen. I guess I just watched Star Trek reruns. And think that you've seen it all. (laughs) Yeah, and don't apparently watch anything else. But I also, like, I can't watch the X-Files because I'm scared of it. So, you know, there are limitations. Yeah. Um, I chose uh, Shuri from Black Panther, and she was also suggested by... Um, at Sister Stub and at Chal Peng on uh, Twitter. So uh, Shuri made her film debut in 2018 in Black Panther, and she reprised her role in Avengers Infinity War. And spoiler alert, it's about Endgame, so I'm telling you right now to not listen for the next five <laughs> seconds. She reprises her role at the very end of Endgame. Okay. You can start listening again. (laughs) So she is the 16-year-old sister of T'Challa, and she's the mastermind behind Wakanda's inventions with vibranium, the fictional magical alien metal that um, gives the African country its power. And one of the things that I really love about Shuri is that she's not derivative of a male character. Um, I've seen a lot of people refer to her as like, the girl or the female or the woman, Tony Stark. Other than the fact that they both invent things that glow, I yeah. don't really see a whole lot of connection there. <laughs> also, isn't there yeah. a character who is, like, isn't Iron... Ironheart? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's Riri. So there's another... Okay, whatever. <laughs> yep, exactly. Also, like, I feel like comic books are full of people who invent things that glow. That's, like, 75% of, like, comic book characters. So that's all yeah. that have in Glowing comic. and capes are kind of, like, hallmark <laughs> figures in the yeah. Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I love that she's not derivative, um, no matter what men on the internet say. And that she isn't just a uh, strong female character trope. Um, she has a unique personality, and I think she's witty, and I think that she's funny, and <laughs> she's, like, the only one that really gets T'Challa to crack up <laughs> his He's very um, serious, his stiff upper lip. Um, <laughs> yep. And I like that she's also so young. Having her be so young gives her a interesting insight into why she's able to see Wakanda and the technology that she creates the way that she does. So I really I really like that that gives her like a keen eye to manipulate the vibranium in really inventive ways. So aside from these reasons for me liking the character, um, 
I know there have been many writers that have highlighted the importance of seeing a young black woman in such a significant role. There is a piece that I really liked um, that talked about Sherry in the context of maker culture, which I thought was interesting because they've seen her in context of like, you know, tech and, you know, tech proper. But I really liked this idea of um, putting her in the context of maker culture. And the writer um, in uh, for sci-fi, Natrice Gaskins, um, says that maker culture is often linked to issues of access and opportunity. And so about Shuri in this context, she writes, as the princess with an innovative mind who designs the new technology for Wakanda, Shuri shows us what young women and men of color could become in the not too distant future. Shuri's adeptness at merging her cultural knowledge and skills into innovative science and technology projects makes this part of a new wave of Afrofuturism the cultural practice that navigates past, present, and future, or what I call Afrofuturism 3.0. And for anyone who is also a Shuri fan and wants to see more of her, she now has her own standalone comic in the Marvel Universe, and it was a series that came out in the fall of 2018. Um, And then also she is getting her own um, animated special, and it's called Marvel Rising Operation Shuri. I love Shuri. She's great. Yeah. Um, I like I liked your point about um like her her youth being part of like who she is. Um and and like there cuz there cuz yeah, there's a lightness and there's an optimism to her that is part of a lot of the things that she invents and kind of yeah, like she she has a point of view for the things that she invents. And, like, so, yeah, like, not only is she, like, a woman inventor or a girl inventor and uh, um, a black girl inventor, but, like, she has a point of view in the same way that, like, a lot of male scientists are often portrayed, but female scientists aren't always. uh, And that's really cool. And I like it. So I think part of her youth also reminds me of like robotics teams like high school robotics teams Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and how they take like regular everyday stuff and like just soup it up big time (laughs) and they're like see better Mm -hmm. now um (laughs) and it just like it brings a different perspective um to something Mm -hmm. that maybe is already there and i think there actually is like she tells t'challa at one point that just because it's good doesn't mean it can't be improved or something, something along those lines about improvement, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I think gets to what you were saying, Rebecca, about how she has like a particular point of view that comes through in the way that she does her inventing. She has like a very specific focus for her work. It's just like her sort of in the in the film, at least her sort of omnipotence in terms of like what she's capable of is sort of similar to. Tony Stark or to like Bruce Banner but I feel like her her work and the things that she's interested in the stuff she makes is all within the context of like of like making Wakanda better making Wakanda safe or like you know Mm -hmm. that she's she's got a reason for doing all the stuff she does where like Bruce Banner just has seven PhDs because he just has he has seven PhDs because his brain is so big (laughs) what else is he gonna do with it yeah it's just so big and then you 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 can like chunk him into any situation where you like need a smart dude to do something, but he just like I don't know. She's got this like kind of grounded yeah. approach to like her work, and she invents things for a reason instead of just like 
being like an overpowered brain in a jar that you could insert into any situation for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I feel like I've, I've read and seen criticisms of, uh, different recurring characters, often, honestly, women scientists who are really there just to move the plot forward at a certain point, um, or to, like, be someone who solves a problem. Uh, so while I love Willow from Buffy, there are times when she just gets used as, we need a someone who knows how to solve problems. Um, insert Willow. Uh, Cosima from, um... Oh god, there was one of our Orphan suggestions, Black. and now I've forgotten the name of the show. From Orphan Black, yeah. Cosima from Orphan Black, uh, who I adore, but also sometimes gets used that way. Um, so there can sometimes be a little bit of, like, have problem, insert science, solve problem. Uh, but yeah, but the, the idea that she has uh, specific interests and uh, abilities makes that feel like more fuller and more real yeah she like has a research agenda right where bruce banner just like if someone needs him to do a do a science he could do it but he doesn't like (laughs) that's not what he spends his time doing you know that's not his vocation his vocation is being hulk i guess I think his vocation is being sad well actually but (laughs) i think it's so funny because i saw endgame and i was thinking this exact thing about Bruce Banner and Tony Stark in there. Like, okay. So they don't have a focus. They can just do all of the science. And now they've invented time travel. Like, (laughs) it was just amazing to me. I was like, just because they're smart doesn't mean they can build time machines. What is happening? And the way that that happens is Tony is just, he's literally just like futzing around. With his fancy, you know, holographic (laughs) notebook or whatever. Like, he's not even trying. He stumbles on the solution (laughs) to time travel. That's how... That's how amazing Tony Stark is. Like, I kind of guffawed at, like, that scene. Like, oh, really? Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, I guess the movie was three hours, so they really had to... (laughs) Figure out a way to get the science down real fast. Yeah, there's no possible way they could have really worked through that. <laughs> um, so we're going to go from, you know, one of the, I think, objectively, one of the best movies of the last couple of years to um, some very standard, uh, <laughs> mediocre network television that I happen to deeply love. Um, so this was uh, also recommended by um, Abby Norman, who is at Abby Norman, Abby, at Abby M. Norman and Kay Quinn, uh, who on Twitter is at um, Aleph's mom. Uh, and uh, the suggestion was the TV show Bones, and uh, Dr. Temperance Brennan and the rest of the uh, women scientists that uh, populate that show. Uh, so Bones ran from 2005 to 2017. I looked it up. 
it was on for a goddamn long time. <laughs> um, like many, like many mediocre procedurals, um, it is really like in its structure your basic like forensicy crime procedural in the spirit of something like CSI. Um, but the setup for it is that Dr. Temperance Brennan is a brilliant but quote socially inept um, forensic anthropologist who teams up with this much more emotional, smart alecky FBI agent Seely Booth, and they solve crime. Angel um, from Buffy this for can, everyone else. Yes, who's also <laughs> Angel from Buffy, um, <laughs> which is hilarious. And um, but he's like a giant. I, guess, I mean, Angel's a giant goober, but like Booth is a giant goober. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This setup could be terrible. Uh, I feel like the like up, you know uptight woman and like emotional goes with his gut man like often shows up as like a trope that is obnoxious. And then like the man teaches the woman how to feel and how to be like a real woman, and it's awful. Um, but the nice thing about bones is that Temperance Brennan, whose nickname is Bones, hence the show, um, never really has to be fixed. Uh, and I also think, like, I put, like, socially inept came from a description of the show that I found, but I feel like it doesn't quite do her justice. She just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, and, and she's not aware of social cues. Um, but, like, that's fine. And, uh, while, like, she needs help from the people around her to, like, understand things like, like, uh, emotional intelligence and empathy and things, like, it's fine. Um, and she does awesome science, uh, and, Constantly. Uh, in every episode. Con- in every episode, yes. Yeah. This this show also takes place in a universe where there is a fake version of the Smithsonian that has enough money to solve high-profile forensic crimes on a weekly basis. I love it. Which cracks me up. Say what hmm? it's called, the name of it. The name of the It's museum. called the Jeffersonian. <laughs> yes, the fake Smithsonian is called the Jeffersonian. Which, like, <laughs> honestly, there is an alternate universe where they name the Smithsonian the Jeffersonian, so, like, fine. Um, but it's terrible. But, yeah, once in a while, like, they need to figure something out, and they go and they steal something from, like, the history collection, or, like, the, whatever their version of, like, the Smithsonian um, Air and Space Museum collection is, and, like, do shit with it. And there's a part of my soul as a museum professional that dies. Um, but it's hilarious. Uh the other great thing, though, about Bones is that um, Dr. Temperance Brennan is not the only woman scientist, and so there isn't this, like, need for her to represent, like, every kind of woman scientist. So you don't watch it and get the feeling that lady scientists don't know how to feel, um, because you also have their, um, the pathologist on the show is Camille Saroyan, and she is, like, super driven and really good at her job, but also, like, um, is, like, very emotionally aware and, um, and, like, personable and charming, uh, and there is Angela Montenegro, who starts out as an artist who's, like, um, just hanging around and turns into a computer programmer, so there's this cool, like, art and science connection with her, and she's, like, kind of this, like, hippie, artsy-fartsy person who stumbles into computer stuff, um, but then becomes really great at it, 
Um, there's a rotating crop of guest stars um, who are the interns who are working in the forensic anthropology lab, um, and many of them are women. Uh, one of the most regularly recurring is Daisy Wick, who is kind of a hot mess, um, but like, uh, but is like good at her job. Like she like and and gets better at her job like as the as the show goes on, um, and so I think because because none of them have to be, like, the representation of a woman scientist. Um, they can all be people and, uh, and women and scientists. Uh, yeah, without having to be everything. And I think that that's something that is super valuable uh, that gets lost when there's, like, one lady. Um, because, yeah, one woman can't like is gonna maybe fall into some kind of stereotype that then is a problem yeah it's almost like women are there are lots of women who are scientists and they're all different i know <laughs> i know yeah and you can put more than one sure of them on screen at the same time and the I world know. will end sometimes yes. they're all in one shot together it's true. I'm pretty sure that Bones passes, like, a lady scientist Bechdel test. Like, I'm oh, yeah. pretty sure there are some scenes where multiple women are talking to each other about science, and there are no men involved. Like, yeah. I, and I feel like now, I have just named, I, I feel like the lady science caveat to the Bechdel test should be a thing. For those of you who uh, aren't familiar with the Bechdel test, it was um, something that uh, is a reference to a comic by the artist, by the comics um, comic writer and artist uh, Alison Bechdel. It came from her uh, famous comic called Dykes to Watch Out For, and essentially, it's the idea that uh, a character in it says that she doesn't see a movie unless there are two women in the movie who have a conversation with each other that's not about a man. Uh, and so this has now been called the Bechdel test, and while it is certainly not the end-all and be-all of like what makes something feminist, uh, I think Twilight passes the Bechdel test, for example. So, <laughs> um, but it can be a great like way to say, are there women who are like doing things that aren't just about like their life circling around dudes? Yeah, it's become kind of like the lowest possible bar for media. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it is anyway. And yet. But yeah, yeah. So then the lady science bike delta test would be: Are there two women scientists, and are they talking to each other about science? And there are no men involved yes, in that conversation. About science, yeah. I just wanted to see, since we just said that the Bechdel test is the low bar, <laughs> how many, <laughs> I just Googled real quick how many movies actually pass it. Um, so more than 40% <laughs> of U just U.S. films fail it. Yeah. That so. sounds about right. Yep. I, what, I just remember watching a lot of Bones in college. I think that was when I first... Um, like learned about binge watching and like streaming became available <laughs> to us for you know free and stuff you don't have to like torrent things not that I ever did such a thing uh but I it's very bingeable it is very bingeable like I remember binging CSI yeah and Bones in like maybe the same year and Bones is mm -hmm. just 
so much better in, ter- in terms of not having first of all you don't have to watch like yeah. a whole lot of women getting killed especially sex workers yeah. and stuff in like very brutal ways like, csi yeah. is really leans heavily on that and i feel like the the crime aspect of bones is it's not like softer or anything it's just more inventive you know yeah the mystery of it is is usually something like really interesting instead of just like oh a guy got mad at a woman and so he killed her <laughs> or a serial killer made a bunch of dollhouses and we spent three seasons on it or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think what you said about there being so many uh, women who are also scientists as part of this sort of ensemble is really important. And it's not, I don't think it's very common, even in the sort of list we have of like best representations. A lot of those are kind of like the singular women scientists but i think there's something really nice about having like a team of women scientists who are all different and who like you said all have different sort of emotional ranges uh uh and they never if i recall it's been a while since i've seen the show but and they never result to um like low-hanging fruit for conflict of just making the women like compete with each other and be ang- like catfighting type of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't recall them ever yeah. resorting to that type of stuff for drama or conflict. Yeah. Like, I think the worst thing is that Bones is mean to her interns, but like she's mean <laughs> to all her interns. So. <laughs> and I think she like, she learns as this like series goes on to like, she learns to have empathy for like her students mm-hmm. and her interns and she like she learns in part from the women around her ways to like manage mm-hmm. her team like mm-hmm. better you know there's oh, like yeah. good group dynamic there that i really liked mm-hmm. i really like the angela character what you're saying about this like highlighting this kind of like it, the intersection of art and science she's like she does some like forensic reconstructions and things like that for yeah. the team and she there are her, her character is like a is like a trope in forensic shows i think well maybe it's just her yeah. and abby from ncis yeah. but she's so yeah. much more interesting and like fun to watch than abby because abby is just like i think a really <laughs> insulting like caricature like of like a goth weirdo mm-hmm. who's also like very mm-hmm. weirdly yeah. like hyper sexualized too. NCIS is a terrible show. <laughs> if you want like a <laughs> forensic procedural, Bones is your best bet. I think um Angela is also um bi as well. I think that's right. I think so. Yeah, she yeah. has like um she dates what's his name, who is like a three and she's a ten. Uh, and they break up. Yes. <laughs> and then in between, she dates, I think, an ex girlfriend. She gets back together with the three. But, um. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. I'm looking yeah. at her Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. And, and Angela is biracial and Camille Saroyan is black. And, like, so there's also just, and, like, ends up married to a Middle Eastern dude. And, like, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, um, awareness of, uh, 
not having a totally white space, too, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that... Um, I really always like Camille's character, too, because she, like... She's, she's wrangling all of these, like, academics and, like, weirdos <laughs> and try... Yes. I would think of her analog as, like, Cuddy from House just being like, you guys have to do, like, you have to do paperwork. You <laughs> you have to, like, show up to work yes. on time. You have to... I need you to help me out here. <laughs> like, trying to manage all yep. of this, but mm-hmm. I always thought of her as, like, she's also very, like, she's, like, plugged in and aware of and she's, like, sympathetic with Bones and isn't, like, she doesn't push her too hard on on stuff. I don't know. I just thought she's a really good character as, like, the high-powered woman in charge, but she's not shrill, you yeah. know? Okay. Well, we obviously we would not have time to talk to, about everybody's suggestions. Like we said, we'll post the list. There are a lot. So if you're looking for some good representation of women scientists, um, we'll post that list so you can pick out something to watch something to binge so now uh even though we said we weren't going to ask you for money for the whole episode we're going to ask you for money again but actually (laughs) we're going to have some of our some of our pals do it for us and they did this under their own free will (laughs) they did (laughs) we did not extort them in any way driving them or anything Hi, I'm Mar Hicks, and I'm a professor of history at the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. I work on the history of computing and the history of labor and gender. I'm Deanna Day, a writer and a historian in Los Angeles. I've done work with Lady Science before for both their print edition and their podcast. And one of the things that I really like about Lady Science is that They make really rigorous, up-to-the-minute historical research accessible to a wide audience. I'm a regular reader of Lady Science and listener to the podcast, and one of the things I like most is the way that Lady Science continually expands my sense of what the history of science is in terms of content and addressing new subjects, and what the history of science can be looking forward, not only as an academic discipline, but also as a live concern, a set of questions that we can ask about every single thing we go through. I like how they deconstruct what's going on in history and with overlapping categories of oppression that um, combine to hide certain stories, certain people's stories, at the expense of others. One of the recent episodes of the Lady Science podcast that I really liked talked about trans issues and how to rehabilitate stories of gender queerness in the past. And they made the point that for a long time, historians really have had no problem projecting um, a very modern sort of idea of cisnormativity into the past in a way that really isn't historically objective. Um, And then they started delving into some of the ways that we can start to change that. I've also had the luck to write for Lady Science. They've been a home for pieces that I probably couldn't have published anywhere else, Essays that combine the history of science with media studies and queer theory and exactly the right amount of feminist rage. Lady Science's editors have also worked closely and generously with me on drafts and have hugely improved both my essays for them and my work going forward. No other outlet has been more professional and responsible with logistics like expectations or payments. 
And I really appreciate that Lady Science does this sort of work, that they do it for a popular audience, both in writing and in audio form, um, because these are really important issues, not just for historians, but for anybody who has to live in the world that we live, on, live in that's built on the ruins of the past. So I think the work that they're doing is really important to all of us. I really love Lady Science, and they deserve your support. One thing that really, I think, surprised all of us when we did the sort of call on Twitter for suggestions was that um, most of the responses we got were about positive representations of women scientists in popular culture. I think we were all expecting a torrent of, like, (laughs) this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And, you know, I don't know if that means that we're just really cynical. I mean, we are. (laughs) Or that, you know, our followers and our listeners are just, they're much better at finding the good in the world than we are, and we commend them for that. Um, in any case, we do want to talk about some representations of women scientists that are, to put it mildly, really disappointing. So, Layla, you had a pick for this. I did. Um, I picked, this was a real toss-up. Between Charlie from Top Gun and Christmas Jones from The World of Sun and Up. <laughs> it was real hard for me to choose which one I hated more. Oh, um, so I just, I went ahead and went with Top Gun. Um, so Charlie, and this was also suggested by Misty Bentz at, at Astro Misty uh, on Twitter. And Charlie is played by Kelly McGillis. And in the show, she is an astrophysicist which I don't know if you'd really know that um, just from watching the show. Um, And she plays a civilian instructor. And there are so many tropey things going on with her introduction into the the movie. Um, She, they have like a, her and Tom Cruise have a meeting at, a bar and they don't know that she's going to be his teacher the next day. Um, <laughs> and then they do a little, they do a little, uh, uh, naughty, naughty. And then, <laughs> okay, mom. <laughs> and then, uh, they, the next day at, at, um, at, at, uh, the base, she's his teacher and he is the student. So if that's pretty tropey, and then also just the whole student-teacher romance trope. Um, so she's a bad scientist because she screws her student. <laughs> and that's, I mean, there's probably about 10 minutes where she does science. Um, but really what she's there to do is screw Tom Cruise. And that's pretty much it. That's her character arc. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have never seen Top Gun. <gasps> it's just one of those that just, like, never happened in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you're probably fine without it. I mean, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> of the things in culture that I have missed, I don't have strong feelings about missing this one. There's maybe so much to say and also so little to say <laughs> about such a film. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's why I was... Because I would have had the same like nothing to say about Christmas Jones because they're so bad. There's hardly much to really comment on. 
Yeah, I think we can reiterate that um, if you are a scientist and you sleep with your students, you are bad. <laughs> I also recall that every time they're having like a moment, her and Tom Cruise, um, they play Take My Breath Away. And don't they play Danger That's Zone? unfortunate. Like, a thousand times. This wasn't a very good score <laughs> for the movie. <laughs> All right, Rebecca, what do you have? Okay, my turn. Um, so I have to admit that I was not familiar, or at least familiar enough, with any of the suggestions we were given. So I come with my own, um, which is uh, Claire Deering from Jurassic World and also whatever the latest Jurassic whatever movie was. Um, but basically the latest iteration of the Jurassic Park franchise. Um, and... Claire Deering is played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who, like, I have a soft spot for, so, which makes it even more disappointing. And she is, um, the operations manager at, like, the, the like, re reboot of Jurassic Park, because I guess they keep thinking that locking up dinosaurs and having people come visit them is a good idea, even though it goes badly every single time. Uh, and, uh, she, like, I tried to look to see if she's actually like a sci like named as a scientist in any way in any like specific place. She isn't, but I feel like the fact that she's like managing essentially a dinosaur zoo kind of puts her in the scientist category. So there were many jokes on the internet after this movie came out about how this character runs around the jungle in high heels th for three quarters of this movie, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, she also has a, uh, the kind of icy bob that says, this is a career woman who is a terrible person. Um, she also has an entire arc that's about how she doesn't want kids, and then she learns to like taking care of kids. I, it is so bad. Um, I got, I, I found an amazing description from, um, a Quartz article by Noah Berlatsky, um, who writing about this movie said, the park's operation manager, Claire, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, is a brittle control freak <laughs> who has no time for family or for maternal instincts. She's supposed to be watching her two nephews for a few days while they enjoy the park, but instead she foists the duty off on her assistant while she does her workaholic thing, which in this case means working to obtain sponsorship tied to a new genetically enhanced Indominus Rex. She is wedded to her job and will not be a mother. And so she creates <laughs> monsters. That is great. <laughs> and it's just, and that is what she is. She, I mean, like, she learns her lesson. Chris Pratt teaches her how to care for dinosaurs and also other people, um, which is a whole other thing. Uh, it's, this movie is the, like, one of the few places where Chris Pratt is, like, has zero charm whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is, like, says something. Like, that takes work. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, she she's just like all of these stereotypes. We were talking earlier when we were talking about Bones and Brennan, and she's paired up with like the like cool, hotshot, emotionally aware man, um, and that often goes wrong. But in the case of Bones, it doesn't. And here's one place where like everything that could go wrong with that like uptight woman and like cool dude does. And it's infuriating and felt like such a throwback. Um, but also, like, 
it also this is this is the universe that gave us Ellie Sattler, and um, that also is disappointing because as silly as this franchise is, it has already given us um, women characters who are much more interesting and complex and not like their plot arc isn't about learning to care for kids. Yeah, well, and you know, the moral of the story is what happens to that assistant who also doesn't like kids, she gets eaten by monsters. Yep. That's your punishment. Yeah, if you don't (laughs) like kids. She's bad at taking care of the kids, so she gets eaten by a monster. (laughs) And she gets like, doesn't she get like tossed around by by the pterosaurs? Yes. It goes on for like multiple minutes. Like her death is like the most brutal death. Yeah. In the whole movie. Yeah. It's so over the top. I totally forgot about this movie. <laughs> we talked about it just now. Because it was that bad. I just cut it out, I guess. Um, I didn't see yeah. the second one. I haven't I didn't seen it either. either. No, I get, I, I've heard, I feel like I've heard the second one is slightly better, but I no longer care. <laughs> so. And I think, Rebecca, what you said about kind of comparing this to the original Jurassic Park and how you had such good representation in that one. And I think that comparing it to something earlier from, like, what, the 90s, and it has better representation than something that was made, you know, just a couple years ago, after we've supposedly had all of these periods of learning to do better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, multi-million dollar international franchises aren't doing better. (laughs) Yeah. And and she's, and I think kind of to bring it a little bit back to, like, what makes her a bad representation of a woman in science is also that she is, she is a trope in ways that successful women um, and successful women in science fields are specifically, like, pigeonholed as bad people. Yeah. Uh, and, um... And that's what's super frustrating. Like, like she's she's poorly drawn and she runs around in high heels, but also like she is is sketched as a bad person because she cares about her career and and as a and as a bad person who makes like who so cares about her career that she makes bad moral choices mm-hmm. um, for for humanity and also for her like nephews. Yeah, the idea that like there's that like. A dri- if you give a driven woman, like, a driven smart woman too much power, she will make bad choices, is kind of, feels like goes through her character in this really mm-hmm. obnoxious way. Yeah, and what you said about those bad choices being not only for, like, her family, but for, like, humanity at large, right. is, like, an incredibly reactionary, like, regressive message. Yeah. And it's so, and it's like, it's not even subtle. There's no subtext here, really. It's just like, yeah. you know, don't, don't get a job or you will literally unleash monsters onto the world who will, who will right. kill your family. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. um, yeah. I'm just going to do one final ask, <laughs> <laughs> one final grovel, um, about our pledge drive, um, even just a little bit helps. Um, even to $5 really helps us out. Um, if you can, please do. If you can't, we completely understand. Um, none of us are exactly rolling in wealth. 
Um, so if you are able um, to at least share the fundraiser uh, through social media, or if you can um, just spread the word about Lady Science in general, that really helps us out too. Um, so to that end, if you liked our episode today, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners can find us. If you have questions about any of the segments today, tweet us at, at @LadyXScience or hashtag LadySciPod. For show notes, episode transcripts, to sign up for a monthly newsletter, read monthly issues, pitch us an idea for an article, and more, visit LadySciience.com. And until next time, you can find us on Facebook at, at @LadySciencemag and on Twitter and Instagram at, at @LadyXScience.